Hey, everybody, and welcome to the show. Uh, I'm your host, Kevin Hammond. This week, I'm joined by Attorney General candidate uh, Jesse Laslovich. I should say primary candidate, I guess, technically, yes? Correct. Now, you're one of the first people on the show that has held political office basically your entire adult life. <laughs> Is that right? Am I wrong in saying uh, that? Virtually, uh, yeah. So if it, by adult, we mean once you turn 18. Once you're uh, able to vote, yeah. I've been, uh, yeah, I served 10 years in the legislature. So of the 13 years I've been an adult, 10 of them, I was a public official. And then you somehow managed to be both a public official and go to law school? Yep. And, well, both college and law school, uh, where I, um, the uniqueness, as you know, it, uh, with the legislature in Montana, it's once every other year for 90 days. So what I did is I um, would take that semester off and then I'd do summer school in college and in law school. I'd load up my credits. I took 21 credits uh, in college for That's two semesters, insane. which I'd never recommend to anyone, <laughs> Kevin. Uh, it's, I wouldn't uh, recommend 16 sure. to most people. It was uh, awful. But it was important that I graduate on time uh, for college because I wanted to go to law school uh, right after college. And once you go to law school, particularly at the University of Montana, you become really close with your classmates. And it was important for me that I graduate with them. So. Uh, it worked out well that my one legislative session while I was in law school was my second uh, semester of my second year of law school, so uh, it fell perfectly. Um, so yeah, I've been lucky to be get, get a law degree and a college degree while serving in the legislature. So you have first-hand knowledge of both the expense of being in the public schools, well, and public being, you know, they're open state, and voting on the funding for those schools right, right. And, and how contentious that could be and how did that how did that play out for you as as a student and a legislator it was real it was it was personal uh, certainly um, it, when i was in when i first started in 2001 uh, i was in the minority i'm a democrat we were in the house uh, but in the senate uh, democrats were in the minority as well and it was really frustrating because the uh, in my mind what i felt should have been a priority putting more resources into uh, public education, both higher and K through 12, uh, I didn't think was a priority. Um, and then when I went to the Senate in 2005, we were in the majority in uh, 2005 and 2007, and uh, we had a Democratic governor um, and a Democratic Senate, and I think and a, the House was split um, or close to being split both sides, and it was more of an opportunity to make it a priority. But uh, the question did come up whether it was a conflict for me to support some of the uh, things that um, would directly affect uh, funding for higher education since I was a college student, but it was immediately dismissed by our legislative council that uh, it benefits how the thousands of people who go to public schools and, it, well, and, and I would it's posit, not just for me. I, I would posit that education benefits the state, right. so back the heck I off. I agree with you, Kevin. Um, <laughs> And having gone to the other uh, Montana school, I went to MSU. And there is another one? There, yeah. Um, founded the same year, has a little kitty cat as the mascot. Right, right. Um, you know, it had, and I remember what the expenses were when I went to school, which was quite a bit before you. Um, and seeing what people are paying now, I have a right. couple of friends in college, and I'm just astounded at the amount that they have to pay. And then I, I'm made livid and um, rather... Uh, incoherent at some of the pay that we give to some administrators. I think that's, I, but that's a whole different discussion. I, know, I share in that frustration. <laughs> so 
so you've been in the legislature forever, and then you worked in the AG's office. Correct. And then you worked in the federal office and had to give that up. I know you said at the debate because of the Hatch Act. Correct. Which you say you don't like. Um, I happen to be one of those people who fully supports the Hatch Act and thinks it needs to be enforced more often. Tell me why. Um, actually, the big reason is because we get a lot of people who already have, and, and there's some specific examples, although I won't go into it because I don't think that's fair because they're not here to defend mm -hmm. themselves, but some people who already have power and authority, and then when they get this other role, they, they tend to, it plays into their power and authority skill set too much, mm. and they go a little bit overboard. They're, I'm this person, and I have this power, and I will do this to you, and, and I, you know, just to avoid that, mm -hmm. it, I think it's worthwhile. So for me, the reason I said what I said uh, is I, uh, well, there were two, one was there's some federal funding that went through, mm -hmm. that goes through our office uh, that I currently work for. So right. have, we made sure that we had that separate, which is fine. But the issue I had uh, is, and still have, that as a special assistant United States attorney, um, I wasn't paid by the federal government. Um, I. I work with the U.S. Attorney's Office, and um, and yet, even though I wasn't paid and I was still employed by the state, uh, still in the Securities and Insurance Office, that the that the opinions of the uh, Hatch Act unit were that yeah, Special Assistant U.S. Attorneys uh, right. can't run. And so I'm, it's selfish of me right, to say, because I, I, I think it serves a purpose. I think you're right, but I think that there needs to be some. I think it's common like, sense in its application. I okay, I'll agree with that, but I think it's a lot like the cell phone use ban, which a lot of people, you know, it came into effect in Helena, and I think it's done a great job here because yeah. it's not been applied willy nilly. It's just been, it's there, and you use it to stop the people who are doing the obvious wrongs. They're not sure. using it in a blatant and attacking sure. way. Yeah. But I think in some ways, you know, laws are, are designed to do that. They're to stop you from doing the obvious wrong, and keep those of us who wouldn't necessarily do the obvious wrong, but kind of remind us. Right. Because it's the non-obvious uses of, or the non-obvious breaking of a law that becomes a problem. Yeah. So. I think that's a fair analogy. <laughs> yeah. But there's a, there's a lot of times when, and I'll rail against laws. I have my very libertarian streak in me as well, and I don't think that we need to have uh, a law about every little thing in the world. But I also know that you know, the other part of me that looks at corporations that are complaining about laws, and I go, well, yeah, if you guys hadn't done this particular thing that the law was in reaction to, we wouldn't be regulating you. But since you've shown us time and again that that's how you're going to be, we are going to stop you. Sure. So I think that that's a legitimate use of the law. But that's kind of off topic. Sure, no, no. <laughs> so you've been, in the, you've been doing SEC work? It's... Um, not SEC work at the federal level, but it's sort of the Montana, we're the Montana SEC, uh, where we have our own Securities Act uh, under right. uh, state statute. Um, so in that sense, yes. And then we had the, uh, <laughs> uh, you had the, um, the case in East Helena with the... Uh... Correct, yeah, with um, um, uh, Mr. Heffelfinger, who uh, ran a Ponzi scheme. And, uh, and took a lot of money for his it, own personal It was use. weird timing that that happened at the same time. That was, what, a year and a half after the big, um, uh, was it, Madoff scheme. So here's what's interesting. The, my biggest surprise, I've been at the office for three years now, and um, the amount of Ponzi schemes that we have going on in Montana will astound Montanans. From the big ones like Heffelfinger, he, he was doing his while Madoff was doing his. And what happened, what happened to a lot of them, what happened to Madoff, is the economy. 
went right. bad and he couldn't get, and people were losing money, he couldn't get more investors and everything collapsed. And that's exactly what happened to uh, Mr. Heffelfinger, um, who he, he started it a long time ago in the late 90s. Um, mm -hmm. And it was small, and then the economy did well, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger, and bit off more than he can chew. The other problem too was he was using hundreds of thousands of dollars for his own personal use, um, and and that was a problem. And then the the major issue that I had with it is we had a we charged him with three felonies: the theft, the Ponzi scheme, and then exploitation of an elderly person is what it's called in the statute. And right. uh, and that was a 90-year-old demented woman who was. Um, uh, writing $50,000 checks to him. She, he would go to the Waterford and she would write a check because she trusted him uh, while she was demented. So we, we had to try that and, and got a conviction. But the other thing is there's someone in Bozeman I'm currently prosecuting who is running a Ponzi scheme. He's on the loose. We did an arrest warrant. But it's $5.5 million, a million dollar for Ponzi, four and a half for theft. We think it could be more. Uh, in Kalispell, I prosecuted someone, $300,000 Ponzi scheme. In Missoula, I had a trial where someone, it wasn't a Ponzi scheme, but it was securities fraud. He took money from someone, used it for his own personal use. It happens all over. In, in another case in Bozeman, this is one of the federal cases I had, the, the, the gal who was my age didn't run a Ponzi scheme, but was liquidating client securities and putting it her, uh, in her own, using it for her own personal use by sending the money via wire to her creditors. Wow. Um, so we, we're, it's a small office, Kevin, and uh, yet an important one. And I, it's been my biggest surprise in the years I've been there. In an, era, in an era of Bernie Madoff, and you still have folks who are um, still pulling this and, and other people that are still falling for it. And Montana is particularly susceptible because we trust people. We do. I think you're... I mean, my parents are a good example. Example: My dad's, uh, he's a contractor. He doesn't enter into written contracts. It drives me crazy <laughs> as an attorney. But it's because he trusts the people that he's working for right. uh, on a handshake to build a big house. Well, um, and, and there's something to be said for having that as the basis of your society. You know, if, right? you're, if your state functions that way, that's great. And, and in many cases, we do. But... Uh, but people exploit it. They do, and and it can be costly sometimes. Right, it's it's not a lot of fun. And in this case, with the Ponzi schemes and the securities fraud cases, it's people's life savings. Yeah. And uh, another one, um, the the cases that I've referenced, we've been able to go to the securities firm, with the exception of one, and say you should you had a duty under the law to reasonably supervise your uh, stockbroker. You didn't. We want you to pay the money back, and they do with interest, so the victims re, uh, reimbursed or made whole. Um, but in some cases where they're not associated with a firm, like the uh, two gentlemen in in uh, Polson, where it was a, a fourteen million dollar uh, fraud case, people lost everything. The money's gone, and we can't go to anyone to say wow. you need to reimburse these victims. So it, it it devastates families. So how did you end up in that role? So I was. Um, uh, out of law school, I was I worked for a firm in Missoula okay. and uh, did that briefly. I was an intern there. I did it uh, um, until my wife uh, said she's going to be here in Helena. Um, I, it was criminal defense and personal injury. Great firm, good people. 
and then uh, I went to, I was in the legislature at the time, and that kind of was, was not messing things up, but it's hard to say, will you hire me? But by the way, I've got to leave uh, from <laughs> yeah. January until the end of April. Because people, it's, it's an expense for businesses. So I didn't know what I was going to do after the 2007 session. That's when I went to the Attorney General's office um, and worked there for two years. And after uh, Mr. McGrath was elected Chief Justice, I went to the 2009 legislative session, my last session in the Senate, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I was going to work. I've worked for my dad in construction. Um, didn't have any idea what I was going to do. And and Monica Lindine, the mm -hmm. Securities Commissioner, called and said, "We have a position for an for an attorney um, that we'd like you to consider." And I said, "No." <laughs> no, I didn't say no. Good I just, answer. It didn't. I just didn't. The state auditor's office, you know, I, I, I didn't work. Uh, it wasn't something that I focused on in the legislature. I thought it was just insurance. And then when they said, we want you to do some securities work, I didn't have a clue about securities law. I don't think anybody uh, does. And, and, and that's the funny thing about, you know, all of these specialized areas of the law. Right. We get into discussions of, well, he's a lawyer. Yeah, but what kind? Exactly. <laughs> that's right. Well, I got a call today from someone who said, uh, gave me a factual scenario. Is that legal? <laughs> it's a family law question. Uh. Um, but... So she, I, um, I didn't know what I was going to do, and I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. And they said, we want you to do securities work in addition to the insurance stuff. And I thought, well, I won't want to do the security stuff. I do the securities law uh, every day if I could. It's, it's that uh, rewarding. So, so it really good. just kind of fell into my lap. And you seem to be good at it. You've gotten well, I don't know if I'm good, but I, they're great. <laughs> they're talented very talented people in that office. It really is a dynamite agency. Cool. So let's go back a little bit. What got you interested in politics? What got you so interested in politics that you decided to run right out of high school? Um, so I was in... So I, it was let's back up. Where did you go to high school, school and grow up? Yeah, okay. I was in, I'm born and raised in Anaconda. Um, would still be there if I could. I'm, I have a very hard time cutting the umbilical cord. I'm, <laughs> Uh, but uh, very um, proud of those roots. I mean, my, my, my uh, parents both born and raised, my grandparents on both sides born and raised. Um, so a fourth generation um, uh, Montana and Anacondon. And I was, I was interested in, in high school. I served in student government, student body president, class president. And that's not, you know, I think that's where people get their first taste as to whether they want to run for an elected office, even though it's just a high school elected office. But you learn quickly you can't satisfy everyone. But um, <laughs> I was, I loved government. I, I can't tell you why. I've, um, Were your parents involved in it? You know, or? my dad was a county commissioner. It's nonpartisan for eight years in Anaconda. My mom wasn't, we didn't grow up around the kitchen table at dinner talking about politics. Their independence. Um, uh, I, you know, uh, their, so their voting you, is erratic. You got bit and, by a radioactive "I voted" sticker. Right. <laughs> right. Well, you know. I, well, I'll tell you. So I, I'm in government, and this is the time when Bill Clinton is impeached. Um, right. And uh, that was interesting. I, I was very interested in John F. Kennedy. I studied him. I read books uh, about him. Um, it was really, um, I don't know. Uh, influenced by him, just a, just a, his story and um, the story of his family. Um, and then, but what really happened was, and I, I knew, I, I majored in political, I was going, I was majoring in political science. I was a freshman at the U of time. But I had no ambition. I wasn't sitting there in high school saying, okay, 
I'm going to run for the legislature, the first run for office when I can vote for myself. Because I, I uh, was 19. It was the first time I was eligible to vote because when I turned 18, it wasn't an election year. My government teacher in high school was uh, going to run the, for the House. Um, mm. And my social studies teacher was in the legislature for a long, long time, um, 30 years, and he was term limited. It was right, so right, term, term limits, limits went into 92. Yeah. And so they all had eight years, and term limits wipes out all these people. He's one of them, great guy. Uh, so it was an open seat. Nancy Keenan was running for Congress at the time. She, it was her old seat. Of course, Nancy's from Anaconda. One of my godparents, I have the, uh, she was a part of a group with my parents, and so they made everybody in the group the godparents. Uh, <laughs> um, so that's why I say one of my godparents. But um, she was actively trying to recruit people to run for that seat. When she'd campaign, she'd be in Anaconda at an event, and she'd say, well, you run for the, for the house. At the time, my high school government teacher was going to run. And I was going to help her, and that was going to be my foot in the door. And then uh, she found out she got pregnant um, and was due in June of 2000 and thought, I'm going to have a kid right around the primary election. I'm not going to do it. Right. And uh, I was helping Mike Cooney, who was running for governor, um, because my high school government teacher liked him, and she had such an effect on me. Okay, if she likes him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like him. So I went door to door for him over my... Christmas break in Anaconda, and we were, uh, afterwards we were in this restaurant, and Angela McLean, my high school government teacher, said, why don't you run? And what it was your answer? Up. I said, no, you're crazy. <laughs> and, um, and dismissed it. It was that quick. And, and, then I and then the filing period opened in late January. I went back to school, and no one was filing. February comes along, no one had filed. So I think I filed at the end of February. After thinking about it, and I talked about it with my dad and uh, family, of course, and I thought, well, if no one's filing, maybe I can file and get a free walk into the house. And as soon as I filed, uh, a couple people filed against me saying I was too young. Um, Which and, is exactly yeah. the wrong reason to file. Yeah. If they had a reason to file, they should yeah. have done it on their own. Yeah. So, so you went through your primary. Yeah, and through your primary. And made it through that, and then... And then there was no general. There was no, uh, nobody no. on the opposing well, side. Well, this goes, I, what I want to mention, too, is, so I, I, we obviously studied Democrats, Republicans, what the parties stand for uh, in high school, but I really didn't know where I fell. Um, Do you know? And, yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but uh, part of it was there are a lot of Democrats in Anaconda. Red Minahan, my predecessor in the House, was a Democrat. Mm -hmm. Kennedy, a Democrat. I was a big fan of Bill Clinton, a Democrat. So it just kind of, okay... These guys are people that I look up to. Uh, they must they must know the Democratic Party is the way to go, um, and that's uh, why I filed. It really it's kind of pathetic to say that. that yes, I know people. Okay, these are my beliefs, and I'm going to do it. But it worked out really well because I got in the legislature and uh, saw that I stood with the Democratic Party on most issues um, uh, that came before the. Legislature. So, um, what was on most issues? I li I like that because I don't like anybody who who stands with a party on it, right. everything. Because most of the times, the parties are moving in generally the direction they should, sometimes, or at least right. the direction that they feel they should. But there, you should be able to stand on your own two feet. Right. What was it right. like the first time that you had to not stand with the party, especially if it was that first session? But I don't, I don't know if it was or not. No, it was that first session, and that, and as you. The more you serve, and so I served in five sessions, the more independent you get. And um, 
I think I became more and more independent. Certainly still, obviously, a, a proud Democrat, but you, um, you, you just start thinking uh, on your own and you start thinking about your district. And every district is the same, and those are the people that I ultimately would answer to. So I, mm -hmm. a lot, not a, yeah. I mean, you always, you, uh, a senator from Great Falls said, you always vote your conscience, your district, and then your party. And I think he's right. Um, and I was lucky enough to come from an area that, uh, where my conscience and, and representing the people of Anaconda all, you know, were lined up, pretty were well. lined up very well. But um, I'm digressing here a little bit. You were talking, oh, when I first, first The first up, time you had to stand um, up separate from your party. Was, it wasn't a, um, it was a, a bill that, uh, it was actually the first time I spoke on the House floor. It's funny you bring this up. I haven't brought, I haven't thought about this in a long time. But it, it was a bill that dealt with um, increasing penalties for folks who provide alcohol to underage kids. I, uh, I'm, and, and, and you were an underage and, and kid at the time. providing tobacco. This is the interesting. I was 20. So by the time I yeah, I was, I was 20 when this would have happened. And, um, and it, I don't know why it was a Democrat and a Republican issue, but it, it became one on the House floor. And Democrats were arguing against it. Republicans were arguing arguing for it. And I remember well, that seems that seems backwards. Yeah, I don't. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was. I don't know how it became partisan, but I remember my seatmate, um, who was from Livingston, Michelle Lee, nice lady. Uh, she had spoken against it. Well, I'm sitting there listening to the, to this debate, um, and uh, I saw so you in the house. You raise your microphone to speak, and I rose my microphone. Was called upon, and and Michelle sitting next to me said, "You go get him, Jesse." And I said, "I'm sorry. I'm going to disagree with you," uh, and then proceeded to talk about. Um, when I was, it, it, that I, I thought people were being hypocrites on the floor because they were wanting to increase penalties on adults. Um, I'm trying to, I'm, this happened so long ago, but when I would go, when we have these legislative functions and I go to them, people would come up to me, my colleagues, and say, let me get you a beer. Ah. Um, so, so, I, so you're I pointing out the hypocrisy. And I said, it's, this isn't just, it's not just about adults. We have we have to be responsible. Young folks have to be responsible too and be be held accountable. And I was speaking as someone who's under the age of 21, so it wasn't partisan in the sense of that your your typical partisan um, issues that you have, uh, social issues, right. and budget, and all that. <laughs> it was just sort of this innocuous bill that was becoming partisan, um, and and people were great. They were, uh, I guess it was a sign of things to come. But people were. Um, uh, appreciative that I spoke my mind despite being uh, against my party in a general sense on that particular piece of legislation. That's an interesting, it, it is an interesting piece of legislation. We've got so many things that come up that revolve around um, the AB issues in Montana, the ABW. It's the alcohol, babies, abortion, um, uh, bars, and wolves. <laughs> right. And buffalo. <laughs> right, right, right. So, the, you know, and, and they're all contentious, and we come at them from 900 different ways and can't make a decision, and everybody throws their arms up and has to right. leave the room. Right. So uh, I'm not surprised on the topic that it was, but I am surprised that it, that it happened your first session and that you, um, and this comes from not knowing you, this is not a ding, it's just it, I'm surprised that anybody in their first session would be strong enough to stand up and say, but this is wrong. Yeah. Um, it, um, that speaks very well of you. No, I appreciate that. It was... 
people were great, both Democrats and Republicans. And I, you know, you listen because you want to listen and learn, and you want to speak. And I did this. I tried to my entire legislative career, where if you speak too much, people aren't going to listen to you. So you want to pick and choose your battles. But it was about three weeks into the legislature um, that I, before I had spoken on the House floor, and I had a close friend who was on the rostrum, um, who was a Republican and. Uh, she came from Anaconda, probably the only Republican coming from Anaconda. And <laughs> she came up and, and said, it's about time that you stood up and spoke the way I thought you could, uh, the way I knew you could speak, which was nice. But, um, yeah, the rest, it was all downhill after that. It's hard for me not to stand up. But you've got to discipline yourself uh, in picking and choosing when you speak. Yep. So you've served, obviously, in the House and the Senate. Which was more fun? Senate. Why? Well, you know, the House w was fun because you really get into debates. They're, they're, it's a lot of fun. It's, uh, someone described it as a dogfight, and it really is. Um, sometimes it gets to be too uh, partisan and, and intense. Uh, but I answer your question, the, Sen the Senate, because um, there's something about the Senate. I don't know if it's because there are only 50 people versus 100 in the House, um, or if it's because people have... Normally, you have folks who serve in the House first and then go to the Senate, so you have sort of a foundation of the process and the people. But that really, I think, makes people reasonable. I served with people in the House who I thought were extraordinarily unreasonable. Then I served with them in the Senate, and they are very reasonable people. They, where you can really work on issues and compromise, which I think is the um, heart of uh, legislating, is compromising. and. Um, so when I say fun, it's you're actually getting stuff done in a bipartisan manner. Now, are there people on both extremes? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> that'll always be the case. But in the Senate, it just seemed to be less. I like working with less people. But I think the other thing, Kevin, is the uh, uh, fact that we were in the majority two of those sessions. Uh, um, that will make a difference. When you have, well, I got to chair the Senate Judiciary Committee in 2007. That was a huge honor. Um, you're a part of the leadership team. And that would have been, what, four years after you graduated from law school? or That was the, the year you year, graduated. The year after. Okay. I graduated in 2006. I chaired the committee in 2007. Um, <laughs> that needs to be on a plaque, honor, right? right? At U of M. <laughs> it was a huge honor. But it, um, you get you, you get a c control the agenda, and you had the votes. Mm -hmm. And here I'm talking, I'm saying it's by opportunity to be bipartisan. And it is, but... Being in the minority versus being in the majority, uh, it's night and day. Um, you get to move the agenda through the Senate. Um, and, you, and one thing about serving in the minority and then serving the majority, you gain appreciation for being in the minority. Um, right. So you involve them and, uh, like I said, you compromise. And certainly there are times where there's just a philosophical difference where you can't compromise with us and uh, the Republicans. But... I'd say 90% of the time there was an opportunity to work together, and that's what we did when I was uh, on the Judiciary Committee. Really proud of that work. Very cool. So you chaired Judiciary. What else? I chaired the Ethics Committee. Um, oh, come on. That had the, to have been fun. Well, you know, the, interestingly, it only, you, it only came up on an as-needed basis. Uh, we didn't meet regularly. If people had ethical questions or problems or they made a complaint against a senator, then it went to the Ethics Committee. I will... Um, so this is uh, 2007. 2005, uh, I was a freshman senator, so you obviously aren't, aren't going to get any chairmanships, but um, I was on the Judiciary Committee, the State Administration Committee, which I loved. Um, and uh, then 2007, 
and transportation, which I enjoyed too. And then 2007, I, as I said, the judiciary and ethics. And uh, I was on the uh, uh, committee on committees, which is where I'm getting into the weeds here. But <laughs> this is the, it's, you're, si you're one of six people elected by your caucus, the majority party, um, to give out the committee assignments. Uh, whereas in the House, the Speaker gives out the committee assignments. In the Senate, it's a six-person committee. Um, and that was an honor. And then uh, in 2009, we were back in the minority, but I was the assistant Democratic leader um, under Carol Williams, uh, which was a huge honor where you get that um, taste of being a part of the formal leadership team and going to the leadership meetings, meeting with the governor and uh, meeting with, of course, the, the president of the Senate, the majority leader of the Senate, and trying to figure out how we get out of the session in, in 90 days. And so, so your last session was 2009. You right. managed to avoid um, the session from Hades that we just had. Well, I actually didn't. Well, but you were because you were you were in the sitting legislature. That's right. That's right. So I I resigned in 2010 um, to become chief legal counsel for Monica Lindine, and I resigned because it was uh, uh, what I thought would be a policy conflict that I'd be working on issues for her, and then I would have to vote on those as a legislator, which I did not feel comfortable doing. Um, so I was trying to be intellectually honest with myself, and that's fair to the people in my uh, district, and fair to Monica, candidly. And, and um, fair to the positions, both right, positions. Right, so. and so I And got unusual to, for politicians to do, let's well, be quite clear. I, I got to uh, see the legislative process from the executive branch side, which is also, was also very beneficial, even though I'm... Uh, why I'm bald the way I am because of the <laughs> last session, but um, where you, so you have 10 years in the legislature and you, you see it for, as a legislator and then you work for an executive branch agency and you're trying to bring or usher legislation through the legislature and it's hard as hell, I'll tell you. It was, you're in the legislature and it's a little easier. You're up there full time, you can go talk to your colleagues and uh, whereas I was prohibited uh, from uh, going places in the Capitol that I always could go to as a senator or representative, you know, for example, going on the Senate floor or House floor anytime I wanted and talking to my colleagues about uh, the bills that I was carrying, trying to garner support. Um, but working with, well, the biggest frustration for me last legislative session is one, people weren't talking, which is really frustrating. Oh no, they were yelling. Of, yeah, that, and, but uh, secondly, there was just an utter distrust of what the fa of what I was saying uh, the facts were, um, and not just me as I perceive them to be. That's what the facts were. Whatever whatever the issue was, Kevin, when you're talking to legislators and they're saying no, that's not that's not the case. Here's an example: uh, we we had a securities restitution fund bill that we were pushing, that ultimately was passed, and the whole purpose was for these, these cases I talked to you about of people who... Uh, get robbed. Get, yeah, been. exactly. And, that, and there's no availability to uh, get uh, their money back. We thought, okay, we want to do this uh, securities restitution fund where people can get some money back. Certainly, we, someone who loses half a million dollars, we can't say, yeah, we're going to give you half a million dollars. But what we, the concept was and is that when we settle some cases with some of these securities firms and we find them, we also want them to contribute to the Securities Restitution Assistance Fund. Right. 
And then when people apply as some victims, we can give them up to $25,000. So we're, we think this is a no-brainer, right? No taxpayer dollars. It's for victims of securities fraud. And we're explaining this to uh, the people on the House Judiciary Committee. And they don't get it? Yeah, <laughs> some don't get it. We yeah, almost the... lost that bill on that committee. Oh. Um, it barely got out of the committee. Um, we had some very, I think, brave... Uh, Republicans vote for it because you needed the Republicans to vote for it, including the chairman who really saved me because it was dying. And that was uh, Ken Peterson. Interesting. And he because uh, he voted he voted the wrong way on so many other things. Yeah, it's right, interesting right, that he voted right. the right way on this no, one. He was and I can say on this one. He was helpful, and um, uh, I went up to uh, someone that I had previously served with, a very conservative Republican who was on the committee, and I said, "Are you are you going to vote with me on on?" that legislation. And he said, Jesse, I'm not trying to be a hero here. These people who are investing, if they lose their money, then they've got to um, learn from their mistake. And I said, it's not like they're investing and losing the money in the market. These are people who are defrauded. They're being swindled. How is that fair? And he said, well, how is it fair that my daughter had her TV stolen and she doesn't get a new TV? TV the government going to buy her a new TV? If the government found out who did it, the criminal would buy her a new TV. So that was a little frustrating when uh, you're trying to say this is about fraud. And, and, he, and that was, so he spoke against it in committee and spoke against it on the House floor. And that was the argument that he made, that these people invest their money. We shouldn't be rewarding people who have enough money to invest. And they're losing it in the market. And because it's just they're not false. Oh it's factually gosh. false. So that was um, frustrating. Um, I'm, but, and you kept your calm with all of this. You have to. <laughs> That's the other thing. You know, you can, when I was, when I served with him, you know, you can, you obviously, I always try to keep your calm and I, I think it makes you uh, more effective. And if you're classy and you handle things, I think the right way, people respect it, even if you disagree. But in the legislature, you're, you're more, uh, there's more of a, at least for me anyway, you're willing to be combative when it, when you need to be combative. Whereas when I was, working on behalf of the agency, I had to be very uh, deferential. When I'd get questions that I thought were rude questions, um, when we, in one committee, I thought one com uh, member asked a question that, that was, uh, he was taking a shot at me, and uh, I said, I'm not gonna dignify the question by responding to it, you know, which is, um, as a senator, well, a very I nice hesitate, way of but, well, where but to go. But. You just have to be careful because you don't yeah. want it to affect the uh, 85 or 90 people who are working in the agency. Right. So, and government is contentious, and there's a lot of uh, good things that happen, and there are a lot of bad things that happen. I'll be the first to admit to right. both of them. Um, and uh, like I was telling you earlier, the reason that I started this podcast is because I tend to be one of those people who loses my mind and just goes off like a rocket. <laughs> and it's not always the best move, um, but it's honest. Right. And that doesn't mean that what we're doing here at these conversations is anything less than honest as well, but it's nice to be able to sit down and talk about, you know, these are the things that happen in politics. And yeah, you do have to, you have to play the game a little bit. Right. Right. But you don't have to let the game be the end all be all of how you get through your day. That's right. So there's uh, this this year you've decided to run for AG. Right. How did that happen? You know, I mean, I uh, 
loved the issues uh, when I was on the Judiciary Committee, sentencing policy and folks who have mental illnesses. That was really important to me, not being in the criminal justice system. So I worked on that when I was in the legislature. I represented the Montana State Hospital. Uh, so carrying the legislature, mental health courts and drug treatment courts and focusing on treatment. So um, just having that foundation being on the Judiciary Committee piqued my interest with the Department of Justice issues because all those issues went through that committee. And then when I went to the Attorney General's office, um, loved the work. And the one thing about the Attorney General is you have multiple hats. You know, you, you're, you're, you have the criminal side, you have the civil side, you have the land board, then you have Department of Motor Vehicles, gambling control. There's just so many different bureaus within the Attorney General's office that affect every Montana. Um, and the cons but really to go to the heart of your question, um, two things. One, I did consumer protection work there and I think it should be a consumer protection office without question. It's new, we moved it there in 2005. Where was it before? Department of Administration. Um, so that See, legislation I, I, came. And, and, and start, not to interrupt, but it's interesting that it was moved there. It's interesting that it was ever part of admin, but I would always think that it would have been part of the public defender's office. Well, this is civil. It's still. I think it's um, but my the, own thinking on that. But. Well, here's, the, here's why it's not, because um, the public defender's office would be, would be prosecuting these, essentially, instead of uh, defending. Does that make sense? Whereas... Um, right. We, so, but it's the, you know, it's, I guess it's the same. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, so, and plus all the other consumer protection offices, I shouldn't say all, virtually all of them in the country are in the attorney general's office. Um, so it, work, it works out well when you're working with other attorneys general to when you're coordinating or you're, you're multi, part of a multi-state action to work with uh -huh. a fellow attorney general office. That um, makes sense. But that consumer protection stuff is very important to me and I think there should be as many resources as we can get in that office. But the other thing, when I got involved, when my high school government teacher told me when I was 19, you should do this, um, and I was immediately dismissive because I thought my age was uh, a liability and people would be dismissive. Um, and it ended up being one of my best assets when I went door to door and talked to people. People wanted someone who was young and, uh, and wanted to be involved, a fresh, our slogan was a fresh voice for the future. But when I, before I paid my $15 in 2000, what went through my mind was I'm young enough to where the policies are, that are enacted today are going to affect, I said this at the forum, but um, that the policies enacted today are going to affect me longer than the people that I serve with since I was the young guy. Um, and, and I think it's the same for now that I'm running for attorney general with my son, three years old. Um, and um, wanting him to look back on this when he's old enough to understand that instead of me complaining um, or always wondering or not pursuing my dreams and telling him he should pursue his dreams, um, that hopefully if we're successful, we can have a positive impact on his future without him knowing it right now. And, and um, I wanna have that, I wanna be that person who has the impact. It's selfish to say, um, and of course it's not just about him, but, but that while I'm still young and I'm gonna be around longer um, than uh, a lot of folks who are older, presumably, hopefully, <laughs> um, that Cooper, our son, it's, he's 28 years younger than me. Um, so uh, he's gonna have, it's gonna affect him more than it affects me, and I wanna have a say and a seat at the table. So 
Running for the legislature, either House or Senate, versus running for the AG, obviously it's a little different because it's a statewide race. Dramatically different. Uh, what's been the biggest positive change in the campaigns from your campaigns before? Um, for me, it's, I say this, uh, meeting people that I otherwise would not have met. Uh, oh, you had to get outside of Anaconda, huh? Yeah, I mean, you Anaconda, you know most of the people. You don't know a lot of folks, but... Um, uh, people are at least aware of you or your family, which is very nice, but actually going all over the state and, and having lifelong friends as a result of it. And then also seeing places that I otherwise would not have seen. Being in southeastern Montana and really seeing how beautiful it is in southeastern Montana. People, as a, as a southwest western guy, partial to the mountains and um, you know, thinking that uh, western Montana is just absolutely stunning and eastern Montana is boring. Um, not Far care. East Montana, not, or as they call it, North Dakota, right, exactly. is very boring. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> well, but it just seeing the beauty there, um, I don't know, being in, in areas that we wouldn't have been. I'm going this weekend to the Bucking Horse Sale in Mile City. I would not have done that. If You've I never been? Running. Never been. I'm not even a rodeo guy, and I've been to yeah, one. And everybody talks about it. So it's this cool. is something I'll be it's able really to cool. talk about. Um, so just those experiences that we'll take away will, uh, that I didn't have in the legislature because you're obviously in Anaconda trying to get votes in the surrounding area. Right. So what's the biggest negative thing? Um, the travel. <laughs> so it's kind of related, but uh, being away from my family is really hard. Uh, you know, I have a full-time job, and then you're running this uh, campaign, and then you also have, uh, you have to be a husband and a father, and sometimes the worst part about it, about it is that the the job or the campaign come before being a husband and a father, it's awful. Um, and and um, it's the sacrifice that um, I've made, I guess, and, it's, and I'm guilty every day, Kevin, when it comes to it. Uh, but when my wife and I talked about this, we, talk, we just said, this is, if we're gonna do this, we're gonna work hard and do it the right way. Um, so that on June 5th, and if we win there, ultimately on November 6th, we won't have any regrets about working hard um, and losing. I don't want to be on June 5th saying, geez, I wish I would have worked a little harder. Um, um, so it, it's, it's definitely the travel, and then I would say a close second is uh, asking people for money. I mean, <laughs> yeah, really just uh, always having to raise as much money as you possibly can. And, that, and it, it's tough when you run for the legislature, but Unlike the legislature, we, you need to raise enough money so you can do TV and radio and lit and all the things that you need to do in a statewide office to get your name out. Whereas in the legislature, it's TV ads and, or excuse me, it's uh, newspaper ads and, and some lit. Um, and some people do TV, but uh, the, the money part is, is tough as well. Yeah. So you've done the legislative branch. You're now going to enter into the executive branch with the, the AG run. Uh, and you seem to, obviously, having a law degree and everything, have you thought about the judicial branch no, as well? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, uh, uh, it's obviously very important, but I'm, right now I'm too much of, I want to be an advocate. Uh, uh. And um, it would be hard, I think, uh, to be a judge and, and uh, you know, listen and then be impartial. I, it's, some, it's, it's nice to be in the trenches trying to influence a judge, for example, or, or ultimately the electorate. Uh, that they ought to vote for me. Right. Um, I know, we, you know, one of the things that I do with the show is I try not to discuss a lot of the issues, but a couple of them 
um, if you're willing to. Sure. A couple of them have come up recently that have been it been interesting for the AG's office specifically. And one of them is the um, the sexual assaults at U of M. Um, it's it's blown up in a way that I didn't really expect it. I don't want to know how you're going to treat this when you're in office because yeah. that's that's an unfair position to put you in. But I wanted to know kind of your take on why it's gotten so far out of hand. Was there something that could have happened at a local level that should have been better? Is it more blown out because the press has just latched onto it and made it bigger than it actually is? And Or is it a societal thing that we probably need to get a handle on as Montanans that needs to come first? You know, it's a uh, great question. It may be a little bit of everything, frankly. Um, I uh, Listen, I've I've gotten my information from what I've read in the newspaper, and one thing that I uh, tell people is um, I think newspapers are a good source of information, but um, not the best source. Uh, and not the only source. And not the only source. Uh, so I think part of it is um, there is this concern about favoritism for people on the football team. Uh, and I think that when it happened, not once or twice, but it's happened of um, well, and it, it's been historical. Right. And it's it, not just right. at, at Missoula, right. because at, at Bozeman went through this seven, eight years ago. Right. You know, that's the right. exact same thing. That's right. And it, when I went to school oh, 20 years ago <laughs> at, at Bozeman, they were doing, it was, it was happening then. So yeah. it's not like it's new. And it's, it's not like it's just Montana. That's right. Um, but there were, uh, I think, I think specific concerns, and again, based on the, uh, just reading the articles about how the University of Montana handled it. Um, obviously, there's a concern by the federal government uh, how it was handled by law enforcement, which is why they're doing their investigation. Um, I, I will say this. I think um, Fred Van Valkenburg is one of the best prosecutors in the state, um, and uh, it's his county attorney's office that uh, they're looking at. I think they've got extraordinary uh, prosecutors there. I've worked with them when I worked at the firm in Missoula. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting what comes uh, out of that, but um, I think at the end of the day, just the more attention that, that um, will be given to it, I, th I think the more uh, it'll help uh, with not just football players, but uh, students, uh, for example, who are trying to take advantage of women. I hope it encourages women to report um, uh, instances of sexual assault, and I hope that it makes law enforcement, I'm running for a law enforcement position, sensitive to, uh, and I think they are, but uh, even more sensitive to uh, the situation and do everything we can to uh, try to hold someone accountable who sexually assaults someone. Yeah. So what's, what's interesting to me about it is there's been a lot of uh, discussion of, well, we should have done more, or this office should have done more, or that office should have done more that's gone on, and that seems to be a lot of uh, finger pointing and not a lot of fixing. Right. Um, and and what's interesting to me is I, I've talked to a bunch of other people, and I'm sorry again that I put you on the spot with that. But I've talked to a bunch of other people, and they're saying, well, there should have been more prosecution, or there, you know, the AG should have stepped in, or this should have happened from Balkenberg's uh, or the county attorney's office. Um, and all I can think is, no, what should have happened is you people should have protected your friends and stopped them from going to a bar that's now known as Roofies. You know. <laughs> Everybody needs to step up and accept some of the, you know, this has been a culture that they've grown there, and it's not going to be one person riding in on a horse, you know, with a badge and a gun to change it. And um, it strikes me as a very good outlook that you look at it and say, well, there's a, a lot of things that can change to make it better, and it's better if we work together. So um, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, there's 
a ton of other offices that you could be running for. You've decided to run for the AG, and you know exactly what you're going to be running up against if we have another session in the legislature like we had this last time. How are you going to square that with all the other stuff that the AG has to do, especially considering you've got a Supreme Court case? You know, a big uh, Supreme you, Court have, case. you have a lot of very talented people in the Department of Justice who handle uh, the day-to-day -day functions, of course, Attorney General provides leadership in the direction. One, it's an important question that you make because I think that of the folks who are running for the uh, legis or excuse me for uh, Attorney General, particularly you know the the prim my primary race, I have that legislative experience where I can hit the ground running come January 2013, um, and you uh, you uh, you try to work through the work your agenda through the legislature. Excuse me, the legislature, and um, you're relying on people on the day-to-day -day, uh, stuff of the office, and you focus uh, on that. Um, and uh, I think it's one of the benefits to um, my candidacy, quite honestly, is that legislative experience—not lobbying the legislature, not on the outside looking in, but actually being in the trenches for 10 years. And uh, that's why I think when come 2013. I'll be able to effectively and efficiently work with them while doing the important work of the Attorney General's office, the day-to-day -day work, along with the 800 folks who work there. 800? It's, wow. I've, it's 750 to 800. I've, I, in the, just looking at the, the budget from uh, the last uh, biennium, it was uh, 750, but some people say it's 800. It's wow. a lot. That, that's impressive. And it seems like a lot of people, but we've got a million in the state, and there's plenty of things that a million people can do right. that, that would require you to step in. Um, what's next for you? So, not politically. We know you want to be the attorney general, but what's next for you socially? What is it that you really want to do? You know, Say you've become the attorney general, and it's 20 years down the road, and what do you want to do after politics? Or do you see anything after politics? <laughs> Um, I don't know. Uh, I, quite honestly, my wife and I'd like to have another kid um, uh, so that Cooper's not spoiled rotten as a uh, only child by us. Um, <laughs> Is that so really going to happen? Yeah. So um, there's that personal um, uh, element. Professionally, I don't know. You just never know. If, if I don't win this, then um, I continue the work that I'm doing now. I love the work. Uh, and if I win, then it's a new challenge. And then you, and as you said, you, if if I'm lucky enough, then I run for re-election. And if win that, win that, then there's that's eight years, and a lot can happen, as you know, in in uh, one year, let alone eight years. So I don't know to answer your question. So I, all I know is right now in my life, I love public service. There's nothing more rewarding, and it sounds corny to say this, Kevin, but than helping people where you actually have. It's different from the legislature because the legislature it's a policy basis. Whereas in um, in my job right now, when I was in the attorney general's office, where you actually you help someone, you go you hold someone accountable, and you actually say, "Here's your money back," and you take that. People are genuinely appreciative, and I think um, uh, people are quick to criticize people who want to be in public service or you have these career politicians or I'm not a politician and all that stuff. When um, Really, we exist to serve, uh, and if you're in it for the right reasons, it'll be very rewarding um, when you're able to help people. Cool. So uh, let's just recap a little bit about you. You have a Twitter? I have a Twitter. Which is? Uh, is at Jesse Laslovich, I believe. 
<laughs> and you have a Facebook page. <laughs> I have a Facebook page. And uh, uh, we'll, put, we'll put links to all of this in the show notes. And for those of you at home who don't know what the show notes are, if you go to politictickboom.com, you'll see uh, Jesse's uh, entry there where you can obviously listen to this episode again if you so choose, but you can also follow all the links. Um, you have a website. Jesse. I have a website. It's uh, www.lastlovich.com. Okay. And I assume you have an Act Blue page or some other fundraising. I have an Act Blue page. page so people can donate to your campaign. And then... Um, what else? You've got to have a life outside of politics. Are you going to the, um, what is it, the Montana Logging and Ballet Company performance tonight for the symphony? I am not. I have a, a previous commitment, unfortunately. I, when you're running in a statewide campaign, uh, you, everything takes a backseat. My the vacation, last, we started this last summer. No. Um, so it ruined the summer. It ruined, uh, it's just, it's this cloud over your head. You're always trying, what can I do? You're focusing on it. Um, I, outside of this and outside of work, outside of being a husband and a father, I love golfing. Um, and my golf, I've golfed one time since I announced for uh, attorney general. So um, I like doing that. Uh, I like reading. Um, uh, although I'm a biography, uh, autobiography kind of person, I don't read, I'm not a fiction uh, person. But, uh, and then the other, th other two things that I do get time to uh, watch uh, are the Green Bay Packers. Uh -huh. uh, live and breathe Packer football, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> oh my God, so he's a cheesehead. I can't vote for you. I, yeah, right. So <laughs> I uh, love um, watching the Packers, and it's unfortunate because it directly impacts my mood uh, on Sundays. Um, and people close to me can attest to that, uh, whether they're my wife or family members or people who help with the campaign. Uh, and then the other thing, when the Packers don't, um, obviously when the NFL isn't, in, uh, isn't going on, then I'm a big San Francisco Giants fan. Um, so one nice thing about the Giants is that, well, it stinks now because they're about 500 and it's, uh, when they're doing well, I'm, it, it's great, but when they're doing poorly, that also affects me, but not nearly as much as the Packers because the Packers is once a week. Giants, it's every night. But the example is last night we, uh, I got back late. Uh, they play at 8.15 Mountain Time, usually when they start since they're Pacific Time. So I can wind down at 10 o'clock by watching the Giants. Now the problem is if they're winning, it's tru it truly is winding down. If they're losing, <laughs> it's making it, it worse. just makes my blood boil. And then, and then I've got to shut it off. So how did you end up with Wisconsin and California my, teams? My how dad, did this happen? My dad brainwashed me and all of us. I'm the oldest of five kids and he loved, you, the, he loved Vincent Lombardi. Okay. Um, so that explains football and that's and legitimate. He loved Willie Mays. Uh, for the Giants. Uh, and for the longest time, my dad's favorite number has been 24. And I couldn't figure out why. It's my favorite number, too, because it was his f favorite number. Why is 24? Why is just, well, he just picked 24 and look up to my dad. All my siblings' favorite number, 24. Willie Mays was number 24. Uh, and it came to me a few years ago. I said to him, You're, you like 24 because Willie Mays' number is 24. Yep, that's right. You'd so, never asked before? No, I just, you, I very still am to an extent, but uh, you know, you just, that's it. you have you your parents it. on pedestals and if 24 is the number, 24 is the number. Very cool. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. I Anything else you want to tell people? No, I, I, no. Other I, than get out and vote? Get I, out and vote I will June tell them. June 5th, uh, <laughs> absentee ballots are already out, but 
you could still register all the way up the same day registration, which is really important. Right. Uh, and, up to June fifth. Actually, and I will include links to the SOS site so you can figure out where your polling station, polling station is uh, for voting and where registration happens in your county. Yeah. So. I appreciate um, you doing this, Kevin. I've uh, enjoyed this. I, can, I could talk to you for hours, so I appreciate uh, <laughs> Well, thanks the time. for coming on the show. I'd love to have you back. Um, we're going to be doing a roundtable, and this is just an announcement for the people at home. Um, several of the guests have agreed to come on a roundtable after the primary, whether they make it through or not. Um, it's kind of irrelevant to the roundtable because it's now we get to talk about you know who's who's against who and what are we what are they going to face. Um, so if you're up for that, if you have the time, um, of course, if you make it through the primary, you're probably not going to have the time. Um, <laughs> I would I'd love to do it. Awesome, I'd love to have time. you back. Yeah, Thank I you very much. It. Thanks, Kevin.